The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Data Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Ridiculous Hat, and joining me, as usual, is Zacho. How are you doing, Zach? How you doing, Hat? Have a happy Skullman's Academy Day, I guess. Yeah, well, every day is a happy Skullman's Academy Day. It's, uh, we're recording this on Friday, August 28th. Uh, the meta shows no real sign of being solved. There are some archetypes that are stabilizing, but you tweeted, actually, a few days ago that this might end up being one of the most balanced metas ever. It's pretty incredible how there's not really a clear strategy that's just overwhelmingly dominant, or even after time, there's not even a class that stands out all that much. It is very surprising. It's surprising because before you know we started this expansion, before launch, we thought about how many absurd cards seem to be in this set. So we wouldn't have been surprised if one of them ended up being extremely offensive right but it ended up being the case where you know Thanos, everything is balanced as all things should be yeah exactly i just don't see anything that's alarmingly too powerful or cannot be countered or cannot be stopped um uh, if we're strictly talking balance right because both elusia and Kelthas were not nerfed for balance reasons. They were nerfed for gameplay reasons. Everything else seems okay. Now, of course, there is Rogue. And Rogue, on paper, looks like the most powerful or most influential class has a high play rate, a fairly high win rate. Uh, and its matchup spread is really good, right? It only has like a couple of unfavorables against Cyclomage and Face Hunter. So. It, it's reasonable for someone to come up to me and say, hey, Zacho, why are you saying everything's balanced? Agro Rogue looks overtuned. And I, my answer is yes, Agro Rogue looks on paper overtuned. But the fact is, if you look into the data deeper, you see that there are plenty of archetypes that have the potential to improve their performance against Agro Rogue by a significant margin. Uh, if provided they refine, they build towards countering aggro rogue a little bit more, and which is very reasonable, right? It's going to happen. And when it does, then the matchup spread is not going to be as dominant as it looks. So even though aggro rogue's win rate looks pretty high, its play rate is high, I do expect to see some correction from the meta. And if aggro rogue is really the best deck of this format, it's one of the weakest best decks we've ever had. So if you want to have a best deck, then Agro being one at the power level that it is, it's very good news for everyone. Um, so I'm not seeing, I'm really seeing a meta that has the potential to be one of the most balanced metas we've ever had. One of the flattest metas we've ever had. Flat by mean uh, the win rates are very, all very close to 50% relatively. Um you know, other expansions where we've had the best deck being like 54% win rate or 53 point whatever or 55% win rate. Now we're seeing decks struggling to keep beyond, uh, above 52. Um, 
So that's good news. Of course, at higher levels of play. At lower levels of play, it's harder to keep the meta as balanced because players are less aware of what's powerful or they're less privy to the, that information. So they, they're they less likely to counter the best deck as effectively as high-level players. But when you look at high-level players, we could reach a situation where there's like North Tier 1 deck at Legend or at uh, Top Legend or something like that. It's very, very possible based on simulations that we've internally made. So that's the meta. And that was the circumstance. Ungoro comes up a lot. Um, Mage was kind of uh, a class that had a lot of really powerful tools, much like Rogue does now, where you look at you look at Mage and Ungoro and Rogue now, and actually, uh, I'm going to go even further back, because this reminds me of Whispers of the Old Gods Warrior, where you have, you have this core of like 15, 20 cards, and you can kind of do whatever you want with that core and add in a bunch of stuff around it. Uh, and Mage was really into Primordial Glyph in Ungoro, and Warrior just had Fiery War Axe back in Whispers. But you think about the best deck back then was Dragon Warrior, and it was like the worst best deck ever. It was the worst best deck ever because it just played stuff on curve. And Aggro Rogue now, like, it definitely has more potential, has more depth than that, but the builds are all over the place. And there are still clear counters that you can run into in lottery, and you feel like, well, they wanted to beat me, and they did. So I love the idea of the best deck not really being an outlier so much as being... Having a, a powerful synergies and good draws and the ability to beat anything, but without being so incredibly dominant like, well, like Demon Hunter was last expansion. Yeah, it's more of a litmus test. It's more like, I'm powerful, I'm fleshed out, I have good synergies, can you beat me, can you compete with me? And there are a lot of decks that where the answer is yes, we can compete with Aggro Rogue. We can get better, there's a few card choices for every archetype that you see can can make drastic improvement and, and catch up. So it, it looks encouraging. Of course, there's always the possibility that something new is discovered that ends up being problematic. But so far, I'm not seeing anything that's too far out. Um, even Secret Passage, it's a powerful card, right? We are allowed to have powerful cards. But as far as powerful cards go, it's not overgrowth level of the deck is entirely fixated on drawing it. It's not imprisoned scrap imp level. It's not as polarizing where if you draw the card, you win, or if you don't draw the card, you lose. It's not that kind of a card. It's a powerful card It's a, that encourages the emergence of an archetype, which is something that we're supposed to see, that's supposed to happen. That's the purpose of new cards. But it's not a card that's like, polarizes gameplay experience. So it's powerful, but not to the point where the games are decided by whether Secret Passage was drawn or not to that dramatic extent of like a scrap imp. There are powerful cards, but nothing that's too, too, you know, game warping. Yeah, I think the textbook example almost, at this point, it's almost a way to describe a card is how Kelisethy is it? Because Keliseth was the key example of this. Uh, if you had it on two, the win rate was so dramatically different, and I'm glad they don't design cars that way anymore. Because, man, screw Keliseth. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what Secret Passage is. It's one of the best cards in the deck, possibly the best card in the deck, but it's not a Keliseth kind of card. And also, the fact is, 
that it's more important to draw it later in the game than early in the game. Having Secret Passage on one is definitely not a, a, a scenario that dramatically increases the chances of you winning the game. Sometimes keeping Secret Passage is, is a liability. Sometimes you don't want to keep Secret Passage. It's not a card you just, you know, mull for. Definitely not. Uh, it's a very strong late game card, obviously, but beyond that, it's just a powerful card. So, so if these are the powerful cards that we're experiencing in Hearthstone, then that's a good thing. We yeah. want these kind of cards. We're allowed to have powerful cards, and as long as there will be powerful cards, people will. some people will complain about them, but as a card that you want to draw later or at a certain point in the game rather than on turn one, and as a card that's powerful but not overwhelmingly more powerful than every other card in the deck... Uh, Secret Passage is a good example of a powerful but not ridiculous card. Now, does it have potential to be too powerful at some point down the line, perhaps? But so far, I'm not seeing uh, in a severe issue. Is in Druid, of course, there's Overgrowth. That is a more polarizing card. But is Druid too good? No. So the meta will always have these cards that kind of shape the field, but as long as they are not too overwhelmingly frustrating, um, then it's it's a little bit better. And overgrowth did get a little bit better since the Kelthas change. We still have these games where you overgrowth into Guardian Animals, and obviously that dramatically increases the likelihood of winning, but there's no, you know, Kelthas nonsense on turn four where it's like the game is over and you had just absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, there are ways to win games after a Guardian Animals. It's not like game over, like a Kel'thas into survival into Guardian Animals on that turn. So it's it's very different. So I, I, I'm encouraged by, by what's happening. So it looks good. I don't want to jinx it too much. We don't want to wax lyrical too much. But yeah, it seems to be. We're, we're encouraged by what we're seeing so far. So why don't we dig into Rogue a little bit? Because we've already talked about it a good bit. But... Um... They're, the builds are not really stabilized yet. There's still a lot of movement within archetypes. So we're talking about aggro rogue. When you say aggro rogue, does that mean the stealth aggro? Does that mean steel dancer aggro? Does that mean both? Uh, it looks like that we separating the data uh, here is probably going to cause recognition issues. Can you speak to a little bit of what you're seeing in the archetype? Yeah, so we actually tested splitting between... The Dancer build and the Hyper Stealth build uh, with uh, Born Scorpid. We tried splitting these decks apart. The problem is there's too much overlap between them. And when you split them, it causes an inflation to the win rate of Steel Dancer list because the cards that you, the unique cards in the Steel Dancer builds are like kind of coming in the mid game. And Self Sharpening Sword has a high contributing factor to the deck's win rate. So sometimes. If you don't draw the steel, the self-sharpening sword in that variant, which means that you're less likely to play something like a Dread Corsair later on or a Steel Dancer, it could lead to some some games where the deck loses without showing its unique markers, which is why we kept them merged. However, we can say a little bit about each variant and how it performs, but we want to be responsible and not uh, provide um, potentially misleading data on each variant. So when I say aggro rogue, I'm talking about both variants. Both of them are powerful 
if I had to say what's more powerful right now, uh, then I would say the hyper stealth aggro rogue is a little bit better. Um, some of it has to do with the fact it's better against druid, uh, but it also has to do with the fact that people are running ooze, even when they might not want to or need to. They do run the card, and that has an effect on the uh, Steel Dancer build, because oozing a self-sharpening sword, which ha has an effect on your ability to play um, Steel Dancer and your ability to play Cutting Class, is, is a big factor, right? You don't just destroy the weapon and the damage, you also destroy the synergies. Uh, but again, it's very close between them. If you want to beat Priest, for example, you're better off running the, the, the Dancer build. So not much change in the Dancer build, I think it's uh, it's that that deck is pretty refined. I've seen some experimentation, some interesting um, uh, changes uh, by some players uh, attempting to improve that deck. But right now, I don't see anything that stands out to me as some uh, as a as an upgrade to that list. In the hyper aggro rogue, uh, we saw that scimitar uh, is performing better than cold blood, and is probably you're better off running it even when there are oozes in the meta. Because, you know, a lot of people think Ooze is good against Rogue. Uh, Ooze is only good against the Dancer build. Ooze is not actually very effective against um, the Hyper Aggro Rogue that runs Scimitar. And the reason is, usually uh, an Ooze will destroy the second charge, right? Because nobody's running, nobody's playing Scimitar and holding it. Everybody's smacking you with the first swing. So you, you destroy the second swing only. Is that worth keeping the card in your opening hand, keeping an ooze so you can might be able to destroy a scimitar on turn four? Two mana, three, two, battle cry, gain four life. Like yeah, it's, it's like, fine. Yeah, but you keep it, but you cannot play it on turn two. Right. And sometimes they have openings of Spy Mistress into Delinquent into Greyheart Sage, and they don't need to play a scimitar. And you have a two mana, three, two sitting around in your hand, and it does nothing. So you can't play it, you hold it, it's a dead card. By the time they play the scimitar and smack you in the face once with it, they're so ahead on the board that the ooze basically does nothing. So you you healed for damage, but it's not enough. You need to contest the board early. It's the same problem where ooze was not effective against Demon Hunter, even though people wanted to play it because to, to wreck uh, Warglaves, right? But Warglaves was a f turn 5. You often use most of your charges when you equipped it. So what ended up happening is you kept the ooze, but you didn't actually... The ooze is just dead until that point. And by that point, they run you over in the early game with their minions, not with their weapons. Um, so against the hyper aggro build, ooze is not actually good. It's only against this, the dancer build where killing a self-sharpening sword kind of deactivates uh, several other important cards. Uh, so Scimitar is, is good. We also saw that Akama was performing pretty well. The deck doesn't have turn three plays other than Greyheart Sage. Sometimes you're not going to have an activated Sage. There are some moments like that. And having a stable turn three is pretty good. Uh, though I wouldn't say that Akama is absolutely essential. You can play the deck without it. You can just run the second Sap. Sap is a card that was very good in the beginning of the expansion because you saw a billion Paladins and Survival Druids with Ironbark. So Sap was a really good answer to Ironbark. And now we're seeing Druids moving away to Malagos builds that don't even run Ironbark. So Sap is a lot less... It's less important. Um, so we recommend running one of it. Now, another rogue deck that's pretty exciting, 
is uh, Miracle Rogue. And the weird thing about Miracle Rogue is that its popular build remains the build that runs Vendetta, Dragon's Horde, and Cult Neophyte. Now, there's... I will say, here's my slightly warm take. Mm. And my slightly warm take is that Cult Neophyte is the new Acidic Swampus. It's another Acidic Swampus in terms of uh, a card that people are baited to run because of one particular matchup, uh, while it's pretty useless and terrible in all other matchups. People are running Cold Neophyte because they want to beat Druid. They want to deny Druid's mana, and it feels good to establish like a questing adventure behind a, a Neophyte. You, you get the questing adventure snowballing, and then you play Neophyte, and you kind of shut Druid's ability to respond to it. In theory, you can shut down the ability of other decks to respond to it, right? And I think that was probably relevant in week one when everyone was saying they were going to Fino's channel and watching the clip of Druid crushing people on the theory crafting and saying, I'm going to beat that deck on day one. And we recommended it. We talked about it on the podcast. And on day one, and maybe even week one, it was okay. But it's 28th. Time to move on. It's time to move on. And even back then, it wasn't that great, right? It wasn't that amazing. Uh, but, you know, it's tempting, right? Yeah, let's deny that overgrowth. But Neophyte doesn't do anything by itself. Neophyte is writing the coattails of Questing Adventure. The Questing Adventure is the one that's doing the work, and Neophyte looks good in combination with QA. If you don't have a QA, you're playing a 2-mana 3-2. Okay, so let's say you deny the overgrowth on 4. So he has to wait another turn. But are you killing the Druid during this time? If you don't, then all you did is stall for a turn. The Druid is still winning the game if the game is stalled later. You have to kill him quickly. So Neophyte is not good by itself. And cards are not good by themselves. Not good standalone cards, but only good in some situations, tend to be underperforming cards that also sometimes are overrated by the players because how good it feels when everything works, right? When you have a QA snowballing, the Neophyte's taking the credit. So I'll tell the listeners, don't be fooled by Cold Neophyte. She's a bit of a fraud. She's not actually that good. No, she's good in the Druid matchup, the Colt Neophyte. But, and she's okay against Mage. She's kind of not a negative. But she's terrible against every other matchup. She's terrible against Priest too. People think that she's good against Priest. No, Colt Neophyte is not good against Priest because the Priest can just play minions. And also, the Priest can just play the removal anyway. Like, if you increase the cost of Shadow or Death... By one, it's not stopping the priest from dealing with your questing adventure. So it's not even good in that matchup. So that's that's that. Now, Vendetta is an okay card. It's not bad. The problem is it needs bad support. And bad support is Dragon's Horde. And Dragon's Horde, let me tell you, this card sucks in this deck. It doesn't, it's a, like it's a value card. And Miracle Rogue is not really a value deck. You're not really looking to... To outvalue your opponent that much, you're looking to snowball a QA or an Edwin and and just, you know, put your opponent in a position that he can't recover from. And Dragon's Horde does not contribute to that at all, other than being a one-mana spell that you can kind of sometimes play to, you know, boost your, your QA. But you might as well run a better card instead. So one of the cards that we identified to be very good and not very common is Spy Mistress. And Spy Mistress, I don't think I need 
to explain too much why that card is good, but it's very good in, against Aggro Rogue, which can be a problematic matchup for you. It's excellent against Hunter. It's excellent against Demon Hunter. It's just a good early game card for board control. And sometimes it's nice to have a Spy Mistress activating your Miscreant, activating your Wand Thief and such. It's just a good early game board control when you only run Pharaoh Cat and having just one turn one play, because Wand Thief is not a turn one play, then having that extra consistency is, is really valuable. And the other cards, obviously, is running Eviscerate. Eviscerate is very underrated in, in Miracle Rogue. It helps you close games. Sometimes you need to push damage. Um, and, you know, having Reach against Priest, for example, is valuable. Having Reach against Mage with its freezes is valuable. So, oh, oh, very good card. We ended up dropping Lillian because Lillian, not that good of a turn four in this deck. Uh, Jandis is... Incredible. You absolutely want to run Jandis, but Lillian seems to be a little bit underwhelming. And we also cut the Plague Arise, a card that initially impressed, but as time went on, people caught up that Plague Arise is played, and we saw that the secret is a bit underperforming, so running 5 is okay. Uh, that's a development in Rogue. Very powerful class. Uh, you can do very well on the Rogue and Ladder. Is it the, the clear best class that is dominant against all others? Not really. Uh, but it is good, and a lot of people find it fun. I personally don't play much Aggro Rogue. I play a lot of Miracle. I'm more of a Miracle guy, but uh, yeah. But you had to add Spy Mistress. You had to do it. Is Zacco and adding Spy Mistress to Rogue decks that need to play stuff early name a more iconic duo? You've been doing this since Ashes. We can just go back to the Ashes meta week three, and people are playing yeah, Galakrond Rogue. Where I, everybody was like, no, you don't run Spy Mistress because there's no synergy. We're playing the secret build. Why are you just putting Spy Mistress? And I'm like, Spy Mistress, Spy Mistress. And like three weeks later, all right, Zach was right. We put Spy Mistress. And uh, and here, is, there's gonna, it's going to be the same deal. Spy Mistress is a good card. You don't need stealth synergy for it to be good. Now, I'm not forcing myself. I'm not forcing the Spy Mistress into this build. People are playing Spy Mistress. And it's very impressive. That's why we're putting it in the deck. We're not making things up out of thin air. This is not a this is not a theory crafting idea. Spy Mistress is getting the job done in this deck based on early analysis. And as people are metacking us and we're seeing the build, I can already tell you that build is looks perfect uh, right now. Uh, Spy Mistress is doing work, so trust the Spy Mistress. I will argue with you that Miracle doesn't play for value sometimes. If I find an Evocation off Wand Thief and I still have Secret Passage in my deck, then suddenly we are a value deck. Sure. Miracle has the ability to grind grind decks out. It definitely has that ability. But it's not the... Like, Dragon's Horde is a one-for-one, one, right? Yes. You, you, you get one card. You're not outvaluing your opponent. You could get a high-value Legendary in theory, but when does Miracle Rogue have mana to spend on an A-drop? Not often, right? On a Tyrion. It's, it's not happening most games. And it doesn't. it's not even going to be Druid. Druid doesn't care about a Tyrion on turn 8. You need to be a lot quicker than that. And Dragon Horde is a slow card. It's a slow card. Yeah, it was. it's part of the original build that I was popularized by Chun Chunner, and, and it had... It had value at the time as a as a prototype, uh, but at this point, I think the Dragon Sword Vendetta package just isn't as necessary, especially if you're trying to beat the the 
the most popular aggro deck playing all stealth minions, you're not going to beat that by playing a direct removal spell because their minions have already hit you. Yeah, Vendetta doesn't get much value in the matchup against Agarok. It can be good against like a Toxin Blade, um, but if you keep Vendetta in your opening hand against an Agarok, there is a risk. Because it could be just useless. It could just do nothing. So, and you definitely don't want to keep Dragon's Horde just to have an activated Vendetta. Like, that is something of a early game bait where you're like, I want to keep this Vendetta and I can activate it with Dragon's Horde. But Dragon's Horde is not a good card against an aggro deck. So you're kind of forced to keeping a card that you don't want in your opening hand just to activate another card. So that, that is definitely a conundrum. Yeah, Miracle, interesting deck has uh, a slightly favorable matchup against Druid. So if you want to counter Druid, then Miracle Rogue is a pretty good choice. And I believe also it is one of the Rogue decks that has a better matchup against Face Hunter, which, spoiler for later in the podcast, is going to be relevant. Yep, exactly. A lot of people, it might be surprising, but Miracle is pretty good against Face Hunter. And there are other rogue builds that are floating around Twitter that people are experimenting with. There's a stealth build with questing in it that's starting to get a little bit more popular. Uh, there are people still, some people still running Galakrond rogues, some people trying out Highlander rogue. We don't have data on that stuff yet, but this class is nowhere near stabilized yet. We just know the core of rogue cards is good and we expect to see more rogue over the expansion. But like you said, Zach, it's not uncounterable. There's no, there's no one key build that is just beating everything right now. It just, it's popular, especially at high ranks, because for as long as I can remember in this game, Legend players like Rogue. It's just a thing that they like to do, and it's a good choice right now. Yep. And Secret Passage is a, yeah. is a skill-testing card. card. It's a skill-testing card also. There's a lot of decisions, and I've seen uh, uh, some players say that, uh, I've seen some comments that Agro-Rogue is not a like high-skill deck, and couldn't be further from the truth. There's a lot of decisions surrounding when to play it, Secret Passage. Uh, what to play after you draw the cards. What do you decide? You need to choose what to put on the board, whether you want to use uh, Burn the Face. There's a lot of decisions involved into utilizing that card. So it's a pretty interesting card to play. And uh, it's not that bad of a card to play against because, again, it doesn't have that I had it in the opening hand. This means you're already at a severe disadvantage. That that's good. That's a good sign. Yeah. Well, it doesn't feel great when your opponent is dead next turn, and then they top deck secret passage, and then they find ten damage. Obviously, anyone that is tilted by that, I understand. Uh, but sometimes your opponent draws the nuts. This happens. I don't know. Oh, my opponent drew his powerful card, so I'm losing. That's something that happens in every Hearthstone game, right? It can happen every Hearthstone game. The question is. Is the game predetermined? Was the game over because of your opening hand? That is the difference between Secret Passage and some other experiences that we've had in the past. Yeah. And if your opening hand is Acidic Swamp Ooze, and then you lose to a top deck Secret Passage, congratulations, you played yourself. So, let's talk about Druid. So, Overgrowth is not as big of a blowout card without Kelphus, right? Being as powerful as it was. Uh, but obviously, it's a very powerful card, and Guardian Druid looks to have very good potential even after the Kel'thas nerf uh, because of uh, the emergence of the Malagos build. 
So the Malagos build was previously worse than the Survival build, but now that Kelthus is nerfed, then Survival of the Fittest is a lot more questionable of a card. Uh, building around it is, is a little more sketchy, and now the Malagos build is outperforming um, the Kelthus build, and uh, we recommend it for ladder. It's pretty good. It has a pretty balanced matchup spread. It does well against Priest, a lot better than the Survival build. Also does better against Mage, and it's not as bad against aggro as people think. Like uh, I said it uh, before, sometimes you gotta Moonfire a Spy Mistress, and that works too. So um, we have two. We actually have two builds within the Malagos that we recommended. One is the standard build that runs Nature Studies and Bogbeam and Geppetto, which is a very good card in slower matchups. The other is a build from Orange that runs Double Overflow, Anubisat Defender, and Crystal Power. And the point of these adjustments, as I've said earlier, is to tech, is to improve the performance against Agri Rogue. Crystal Power, really good early game removal and heal stabilizer against the burn deck. You have Double Overflow, Anubisat Defender, allows you to reload while recovering and providing defense. Now, Bog Beam is a lot worse, again, targeted removal, that only is efficient on turn 7 against compared to Anubisat Defender, which provides you taunt and defense against a deck that runs sometimes one sap. So these are adjustments that if you're seeing a lot of aggro rogues, I recommend switching to the orange build. It's a pretty smart build uh, when it comes to beating rogue and improving the percentages against them. You do lose some percentages in the mirror. You lose some percentages against Priest and Warrior because uh, you don't have Geppetto. And Geppetto is sometimes a card that you just play and wins. right? You, sometimes you get a one-mana Malagos or a one-mana Alexstrasza, and that can just win games by itself. Uh, but you, it, you really can't play Geppetto uh, with Anubisat Defender and, over, and two overflows. It's just too heavy of a draw engine in the late game. So Malagos looks very good. Um, if Kelthus wasn't nerfed, I would have been all over Animated Broomstick. That card seems really good in the survival build, uh, but unfortunately that deck was nerfed, and that variant, while we do show it in the report, we want people to understand how we would build it right now, might fade away eventually. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a lot more awkward now. There was always... That ability where if you were going to play Guardian Animals, you can just play Kael'thas instead before it was nerfed, and you still usually get the same effect. Uh, but now you have to work a little bit harder in the early game. It's still very powerful on 10 mana, but Druid doesn't need help being powerful on 10 mana. It needs help surviving to 10 mana. So Kael'thas is no longer something that you can play in addition to your Guardian Animals. It's a, it's, you get locked out of that difference between 7 mana and 8 mana, and that's a, it's a huge leap when Overgrowth jumps you straight to 7. Yeah. Now, speaking of 7-mana, there is a possibility that alternative builds will emerge that are not Malagos, but are still kind of Ram Druid uh, kind of thing. So, um, Exotic Mount Cellar mm -hmm. is being experimented with. We didn't have enough data on Mount Cellar for this report, but it's possible that instead of running Survival of the Fittest, we run a Mount Cellar package. And then just, you know, dominate board through the turn sevens of Guardian Animals and Exotic Mount Sellers. I saw on Twitter a build that Zelay uh, was experimenting with. Um, seems pretty good. Seems pretty interesting uh, to explore. 
So we might still have alternative builds to the Malagos build, which performs best right now. But again, who knows? Druid is still not completely figured out. There's a lot to explore there in terms of finding an alternative to survival of the fittest. More to come on Druid front. If you want to see Mount Seller in the port, listeners, you got to play it. You got to give us some data. And don't forget to make sure that your Data Reaper plugin is on if you're using Hearthstone Deck Tracker or using Firestone. Just go straight to it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm curious to see where Druid goes. It's amazing how you talked about litmus tests for Rogue being the litmus test of the format. And you think about the first two weeks of this expansion, it was really, can you beat Guardian Animals? And now it's, can you beat Spy Mistress? Such a dramatic shift as decks have gotten more optimized and a little bit less greedy. Uh, and all those original lists that were built around beating Druid now have to kind of catch up and be able to stand up against aggro uh, or, or get left behind. It's, it's a very dramatic shift, right? We had the big, beefy stuff of Paladin and Druid dominating the first week of the expansion. And now we got to kill those small, little, sneaky things. It, it, it demands a, a very different set of tools, which kind of brings us to the next class. Ooh, let's talk about priests. Because, Zach, not everyone is a supporter of Vicious Syndicate on Patreon, though you can be if you go and go to patreon.com and you can support us yourself. But in the supporters channel, you've been secretly advertising priest decklists. Yep. Believe it or not, Zacco, the priest hater, is enjoying playing priest these days. And a lot of it has to do with the build that we're featuring in the report. The Galakron priest, the, the Pyro Dragon build. Regarding priest. What? It's tier 3! Vicious Syndicate doesn't know what it's doing, doesn't know what it's talking about. The, the priest is the best deck. Why is it underperforming? Well, let me answer these questions, gentlemen. Relax. Do you think, do you think our readers sound like that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that is the voice of Reddit. That's the Reddit voice right there. Yeah, so I actually don't see that like much of that, but it just it's just funny. Yeah, so Priest is underperforming on ladder. Definitely it, it performs worse than it's perceived to be, right? It's perceived to be one of the dominant classes in the format, if not the best class. A lot of people say it's the best class. So how is it performing so poorly? The reason is Priest is really, really difficult to build correctly for ladder. And it starts with Highlander Priest, which was the deck that's supposed to be easy to build and easy to refine. And it was refined early on because you needed to kill the big, beefy stuff like the Survival Druid that summons uh, two 8-8s on turn uh, 6 or 7 or whatever. So you wanted to play things like Shadow Ward Ruin and Shadow Death was a good card. And sometimes you played Heldmaster Kel'Thuzad to just swing it with uh, Shadow Ward Ruin and make a Druid want to uninstall the game. And that's really fun in theory, but when you're playing against a Spy Mistress, Delinquent, Greyheart Sage, Shadow Ward Ruin and Kel'Thuzad is not doing anything in your deck, so Priest needs to change. So the builds that were successful in the early days of the expansion continue to be net decked by players into the current meta, which is drastically different and demands other things from its opponents, right? You need uh, different tools to handle what's happening in the meta right now. And some of the different tools are two cards that I'm particularly impressed with and I'm, I think are very important to pre-success on ladder right now. The first is Wild Pyromancer. The other is Wretched Tutor. So when you look at the build, the, the Cabal Highlander Priest, 
that we featured in the report, the new Highlander Priest. It runs Wild Pyromancer, it runs Breath of the Infinite, it runs Holy Nova, and it runs Wretched Tutor. You have four board clears of, in theory, stealth minions that you can deal with. And is that overkill? Based on our analysis, it isn't. You want all the removals that you can have on ladder against that kind of deck. It's also good against something like Face Hunter that floods the board early or an Agro Demon Hunter deck. It's not just good against Rogue. So you have these board clears that help you um, fend off the aggression of the new rising decks in the meta. And they're very important. And not running them, you'll miss them. You'll miss the board clears. Uh, so it's a lot more important right now to kill a lot of small things rather than the one big thing. Uh, which Priest still has ways to deal with. So that's the first thing. Second thing about Highlander Priest, we're absolutely crazy because we dropped Dragon Queen Alexstrasza. <gasps> are you kidding me? Why are we cutting Dragon Queen Alexstrasza from a Highlander deck? And the answer is Dragon Queen Alexstrasza doesn't actually fit the game plan of Highlander Priest. Now you might say, okay, so why are we running Highlander Priest? Zephyrus is a really strong card. Zephyrus and Ray Dead is a very powerful combo that sometimes can win games by itself. Speaking of causing people to uninstall, whenever whenever that Zeph gets raised dead on three, I'm just like, oh, oh, can I do something else now? That is very powerful. And much like, you know, you remember people experiment with Highlander Rogue, even though there wasn't even Dragon Queen Alexstrasza. Back in Old Doom, people played Highlander Rogue just for Zephyr's Shadow Step. So... This is a little bit different than Shadow Step, but it's still kind of similar where you can kind of uh, copy the effect of Zephyrus and play it multiple times. So, Hunter Priest seems pretty good. Dragon Queen Alexstrasza, for too long, it's dead in your hand. It doesn't really contribute to your game plan. You have the ability to generate a lot of threats anyway in the late game. So, even in the mirror, Dragon Queen Alexstrasza is not that big of a deal. So... Definitely the build that we have in the, in the report is fine-tuned to improve the percentages against Agro Rogue. It does a lot better against Agro Rogue. Whenever you play Pyromancer Apotheosis or Wretched Tutor Apotheosis, you just win a lot of matchups. So take it to ladder, see how it does. There are other things that we're slightly questioning in that build though they did pass the test of being good enough. One is a Lucia, which is very good in very specific matchups and very poor in other matchups. Uh, the conclusion is that she's probably still worth running, uh, especially when the Highlander deck is generally uh, more expensive and it's valuable against Druid. It's pretty powerful against Druid, pretty decent against Rogue too, so Lucia stays. Uh, Kronks is another card that's a bit of a questionable, but um, the deck does want to, the late game board clear. Since we're running a Highlander deck, we're not the most consistent deck out there. And just having a, a strong follow-up to uh, a Galakron, which is usually an anti-tempo play because sometimes it's just a 7-mana deadly shot, having the Kronks follow-up is, is, is okay for, it's good enough for this deck. But there's another deck. There's another priest deck that's... Is it one deck? It's multiple decks. There are a lot of experiments with Galakron Priest. Galakron Priest and Ladder, 
you know, while Handler Priest looks like a slightly under 50% win rate, and I expect it to increase in its win rate, it's going to settle around tier 2 probably, once it's refined, once people figure out the best builds. Galicom Priest looks garbage on ladder. And the reason is that you cannot just run one Shadow Ward Ruin in that deck. You can even run two. And some people do that. And <laughs> against Spy Mistress is not a good idea. So Galcon Priest, not tuned very well for the current meta. To say the least, it's actually tuned very poorly for the current meta. Ladder builds are nowhere near correct, I would say, for the current meta. And when you look at the deck list that we've come up with after doing the analysis, that's the deck list that got me excited to actually queue in Priest on Ladder. Uh, you have double Pyromancer, you've got double Wandmaker that helps activate Pyromancer and also Cabal Acolyte. The deck is a very low-curve deck that focuses on tempo, on having cheap, playable cards in the early game so you can contest the current dominant deck of the format, which is Aggro. So it has low-cost cards so that you can interact with your opponent? Yep, you have a lot of low-cost cards that you can put on the board. You can play Disciple of Galcon, Calerico Scales, Wandmaker. You've got multiple early game plays. And then Pyromancer, Apotheosis, is nuts. I have I took this deck to ladder. I played like, I don't know, 25 games over the that day where we, you know, tested things out. I went into, I played against Rogue, I think I went 7-2. It's so dominant. Pyromancer is the card, is the tech that you want to have against uh, Aggro Rogue because it's not just a tech, it's good in multiple matchups. It's not narrow. It's not an ooze. This is the 3-2 for 2 mana that you want to play against Rogue because when you, they play Delinquent, Spy Mistress, multiple Stealth Minions, Boren Scorpion, and you just play Pyroapotheosis into a one-mana spell. You heal for sometimes Areno amounts and clear the board. And they have to kill the Pyromancer because it still has lifesteal. So you just have such... It's such an insane swing turn with so much recovery then that it provides a very effective answer against Aggro. If you want to beat Aggro... This is the Priest deck that you want to play. Now, is that it for Priest? No, because we've had we've done a lot of work for Priest. And there are a lot of interesting internal uh, thinking behind where Priest should be. And one of the things that Galicom Priest may struggle with is bidding Druid, right? Especially Malagos Druid. Against Survival, you've got removal, you can Cabal Acolyte. Uh, 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 some big minions, that's usually how you win against Druid. But if you let Druid draw its old cards, you're going to die to Malagos. Oh, I know where this is going. I know where this is going. No, you're, don't spoil Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Okay, don't spoil okay. it. So, like, so the thing is, in this kind of deck, that's very cheap, Elusia is kind of a liability. Because when you play her, it's very difficult for you to gain more value than your opponent. You have a bunch of cheap cards. Sometimes if you play Lucia and you, you give your opponent your hand, he can just completely waste your hand and out, outvalue you. And he doesn't care what you ended up disrupting. You're just out of resources at that point. Uh, he can end up wasting your wave of apathies, your renews, uh, make you discover garbage, uh, make you raise dead things that you don't want to raise dead. 
So there's a, there's a lot of problems with running a Lucia in this deck. So you kind of want more counterplay against Druid. And the powerful thing that Priest can do against Druid is yoinking its minions, right? Like if you run Shadow War Death, which deals with one dragon off of a Ysera portal, that's not winning you the game. Well, it wins you the game if you steal that dragon and make it your threat, and then the Druid has to deal with what you're developing and your pressure. That's how you win the Druid matchup. You kill them before they draw their whole cards and Malagos you. Which means, what if we go full Yoink Cat? You want to go full Yoink so badly. Listeners, listen to me. Listeners, listen to me. This is not a Zacco infatuation. This is backed up by analysis that tells us that there's a lot of potential in going full Yoink. So if you want to try full Yoink, you take the deck list that we have in the report, the Pyro Dragon build. You cut two cards that might sound surprising. You cut Shadow War Death, and you cut Sethic Vileweaver. And you run Cabal Shadow Priest and Lazul's Scheme. That's the full yoink. Four cards, and you always steal the first Druid minion that they play. You steal it, you pressure them, you swing the board back, they play a big thing, you steal it again, they play another big thing, maybe you steal it again, and you just pound their faces with their own stuff. And that could be the way that Priest adjust uh, to this matchup. Full yoink. Now, why are we not running death? Why would you run death when you can just steal all the big minions that you run into? We just steal them. We don't kill them. We steal them. So I should clarify, Yoink. Zach. I am not. I am not questioning if this build is good or not because I trust your analysis, and I know that you would not. You would not talk about it if it was not worth talking about. But I am saying that my analysis is that you enjoy griefing druids. That is my analysis. You would be absolutely correct. But yeah, so it's possible that that kind of package would be too clunky in, in, in reality and in practice, but there are results throughout this expansion, even earlier on, that suggest that going full Yoink is a it could be a viable plan, and I'm, I'm interested in seeing more data on it and seeing whether we could go into that direction because it has a lot of potential. And, you know, even just, it's not like you have to steal a huge minion. If on turn four, you play Lazul's Scheme with a Cabal Acolyte, and you just steal like a 3-3, three, three, that's still big, especially in faster matchup. Like, let's say you steal a Greyheart Sage against Rogue. That's big. That's significant tempo swing. You kill a 3-3 three, three for them, and you develop your own 3-3 three, three as well for no mana. It's, it's uh, it, it potentially very powerful. And when you have that redundancy, like... You can steal uh, a rushed uh, Twilight Runner and immediately draw cards with it. It just has a lot of potential. Uh, so worth testing. That is Priest. And yeah, full yoink. That's. I admit I do want to try it. I'm not much of a Priest player myself, though. It's not because I have any objection to the class. I just like playing Rogue and killing the Priest. But this sounds pretty fun. I want to I wanna, I wanna grease some Druids, too. I'm going to have to try it out. Um, all right, so that's the three big classes. Well, no, there's not really big classes. So that's the first three classes. Boy, there's a lot to talk about in this meta. Let's get into Warrior a little bit. 
Because Warrior's shown some interesting development uh, in that it's what was really good that's kind of fallen off. Each week, Warrior's kind of had a new deck that seems to be Tier 1 and then has regressed a bit in win rate as people have gotten used to it. At first, it was Big Warrior, which has fallen off pretty hard. And now it looks like Bomb Warrior is kind of stabilizing a little bit as well. Yeah, Bomb Warrior looks really, really powerful. It was, as we said in the last podcast, um, that it looked like the best deck um, last week. But the meta changed again. Um, things were, you know, other decks were targeting pretty hard. There was a lot of oozes. There were sticky fingers. And the decks when it kind of dropped a little bit. But it's still obviously... Uh, very powerful. I was a bit surprised with uh, the results that I saw that the Galakorn version that doesn't run Skipper or Ankar was outperforming the Ankar build. So it's actually correct to just run the Galakorn and the Kronks and not the Ankar. Now it's possible that you may want to run everything. You want to run both Skipper, Armorsmith, and the Galakorn. It's possible. But right now, it looks like the Galakorn build is winning out. So that deck, the Galakon Bomb Warrior, is has almost no minion pressure. It has no minion pressure. Like all you're doing is removing your opponent's board while smacking him in the face with wrench caliber. And that is a strategy that is surprisingly effective in the current meta. Like there are a lot of decks that like Miracle Rogue struggles against it because they just remove everything. You play a questing adventure and they coerce it. Uh, and they just smack you in the face. And priests also can have troubles dealing with Bomb Warrior unless it runs some bad cards like Stick, Sticky Finger and Ooze. You don't want to run Sticky Finger and Ooze in order to counterattack that's like popularity is like, I don't know, 8% of the meta, 7% of the meta. You don't want to counter that with Ooze. So Bomb Warrior is pretty good. Uh, one of the stronger decks in the format. Very vulnerable to tech, obviously. But tech is not something that you generally want to do, which puts it at a pretty solid spot in the meta. Big Warrior obviously fell off, doesn't do well against aggro rogue, struggles in general against aggro decks. And also, yoink. You get a yoink once, the game ends. You cannot get yoinked with that deck. It's terrible. So that's Warrior. Other archetypes haven't really gained traction yet. It's possible, you know, I've been asked questions. You know, there's a lot of aggressive decks. Is it possible that, like, Enrage Warrior with Skipper Armorsmith comes back? And it's possible. We just don't know. We, it's very hard to evaluate and estimate the performance of a deck that has a play rate of, like, lower than a half percent of the meta. Uh, it's very tricky to try and evaluate that. So that's Warrior. Yeah, kind of interesting that Enrage Warrior has still been pretty popular in qualifiers, but is barely seen on ladder. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that it hasn't translated a little bit more, but a lot of the ladder gr- or qualifier grinders, I guess, they already had the Enrage Warrior cards, and they're playing in multiple servers, so it makes sense that it's still around there. They love the deck. Pro players love Enrage Warrior. They're very attached to that deck, and it's possible that the deck is good. It's possible, but they'll be the first ones to try and make it work again. So, because they, they, a lot of them were just enraged warrior enthusiasts, like in a big way. So the deck is really enjoyed by a lot of top level players, which is why you see quite a bit of it. Um, regarding performance, it's it's really hard to say at this stage. It will have to gain significant traction for me to tell how good it is on ladder. Yeah. So it remains to be seen. Um, I do think there is some merit to the idea that Skipper Smith is good if the field is all aggro, but we're gonna wait for the numbers on that one. 
Um, now, speaking of decks from last meta, speaking of classes from last meta, it's Demon Hunter. And yet, while Agra Demon Hunter is still around, uh, that is not the Demon Hunter deck that's the talk of the town this past week. Let's talk about, what are we calling this now? Soul Demon Hunter. Soul Demon Hunter. Soul Control. Yes. Formerly Control. Now Soul. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the deck with the three-mana Dustbreaker. This deck looks very good. It looks like one of the best decks in the format. It has some issue in some matchups, but the deck also has room to improve. So I'm seeing a lot of potential with uh, Soul Demon Hunter. Very good against potentially against aggro decks because of uh, our Dwarky Warblades giving you lifesteal. And then, you know, you buff the attack with Lapidary, with Twin Slice, you can gain a lot of health. That way, this deck absolutely wrecks Face Hunter because of that. So that's something to keep in mind when you think about what's what ended up being the meta breaker of this report. So Soul Demon Hunter looks very good, has room to grow. Two things that we identified in the deck, Magtheridon and Polkit, are not really performing very well. So here's the thing about Magtheridon. Magtheridon is a card that people feel like it's necessary because it's good in the matchups where the deck is bad against, right? It's good in the Paladin matchup because you want to kill a lot of, like, Librem of Hopes and stuff like that, and Magtheridon offers you a way to deal with big things. And Druid also, because of Guardian Animals and, you know, you've had Survival of the Fittest builds before. So Magtheridon is like this patch on the weakness of Demon Hunter, which is single target removal. It doesn't deal with big minions very well, so you want to play McTheridon. But the thing is, there's a better way to deal with big minions in the stack, and that card is Blade Dance. And Blade Dance is a card that we identified to not be utilized to its potential. You could say that Blade Dance could be a skill testing card in terms of the decision making of whether you even keep it in your opening hand in some situations, whether you save weapon charges in order to utilize it, how you utilize your twin slices, it's a it's a it's a complex card that you have to anticipate when to use it. Uh, so blade dance, you can very regularly do eight damage blade dances in matchups, and that is the way that Soul Demon Hunter can deal with the opponent's board while pushing face damage at the same time. And it's a very, very good card against Druid whenever you just blade dance their guardian animals, especially now that they're not running Survival of the Fittest, or they're going to run less and less of that, I expect, over the next week. Uh, then blade dance becomes this card that just wipes their, their big power turn. And it's two mana, so even if they ramp to it pretty hard and play guardian animals on turn four or something, then you have the Blade Dance. It costs two mana. You have, Let's say you have the weapon equipped. You have a Marrow Slicer equipped. And Blade Dance deals with it. Or a Twin Slice, Blade Dance, four mana. Deal four damage to two things. And you can smack as well with your own face in order to clean up something. A Teacher's Pet. Uh, so very, very effective. So that's, Now, the problem is McTheridon is atrocious in other matchups. So it's not worth the liability in other matchups just to have this crutch card uh, that even if it's good, you still need your Dustbreaker in order to activate it. Like, if you play it on turn 4 and you summon uh, the 1-3s and you don't kill them immediately, what did you do, right? 
it's it's not good enough. You have to combo it immediately in order to deal with the big threats that you're facing in these matchups. The other card is Polkit. And Polkit is a card that feels really good to play. Right? When you're in a, when you have the opportunity to play it without risk, when your opponent is not pressuring you and you can play Polkit, you get to play it. Then you skull into the other skull, into lapidaries and adept, and all that damage just feels good, right? The problem is there are a lot of situations where Polkit is just not playable. Any faster faster matchup, it's it's a dead draw. You cannot afford to to tune your deck into your hard-hitting cards and just not affect the board. Play a Yeti, then play Skull. Don't play anything after playing the Skull. And then smack your opponent in the face in theory. You're probably dead if you're playing against an aggro deck. The other thing is, even in the slower matchups, there are a lot of situations where they can take advantage of the fact you just play Polkit and just pressure you hard, knowing that you have you need to play the Skull. You need to play the skull that you drew immediately, and you don't have immediate follow-up. So unless you're playing Polkit Skull on turn 10, that card is exploitable. Now, the other thing is, again, just like Mactheridon, there is an alternative to Polkit. What is the alternative? Just like Mactheridon, we had an issue of single target, big, removing big things. The answer is Blade Dance. Just utilize it better. Uh, keep in mind how to utilize the other combo pieces with it. During the matchup, you have Polkit kind of exposing a lack of card draw. So what you do, you just add more card draw. You, draw, you add more card draw, so you draw your damage. So you don't need to put the damage on the top of your deck. You just draw it naturally and just keep smacking your opponent with it. Uh, and that's why Spectral Sight is a card that we identified to be performing pretty well in this deck. It performs much better than it did in the Aggro Demon Hunter throughout Ashes of Outland. It's actually comparable to Skull. And if the card is comparable to Skull in its performance within a deck, it probably should be included. Um, so the, this is what we identified. So the list that I talked about and raved about that Ike pioneered with Adepts, with Battle Fiends, the only changes I would make is cut the 4-mana Legendaries, run Spectral Sight. Your consistency improves significantly both your damage consistency and your survivability because drawing more cards means you draw fragments means you heal so drawing cards is not necessarily a tempo loss in that deck a lot of times it helps you um get some sustain going and survive through multiple turns so i don't mean to open up a can of worms here but i kind of do um so uh, it tickles me to hear you talk about the high skill cap because I know that's been kind of some uh, that's been that's been a tricky term in the past that has caused some disagreement. Uh, how can you tell that Blade Dance is not being utilized correctly at at some levels of play? It performs better at the hands of players who have played the, this deck uh, for a longer amount of time, and it performs better at higher ranks compared to lower ranks. Blade Dance is what Battle Rage wished it was. Battle Rage wanted to be like Blade Dance, but it wasn't. Blade Dance is the real skill card. I was ex I was expecting a much more complicated answer, but yeah, that makes sense. People with more games in the deck do better with Blade Dance, and people at higher ranks do better with Blade Dance. That's a lot simpler than I thought. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not knocking Battle Rage, okay? Because Battle Rage does improve a little bit. Uh, at higher ranks, but not to the extent where it wasn't 
kind of questionable before. Blade Dance does improve, especially with more experience. So uh, we did identify that, and uh, it's interesting to see. And yeah, Blade Dance is just a good card. It's like a Blade Flurry. It's it's a new Blade Flurry when you think about it. But th the thing is, Demon Hunter has potential to buff its attack so much more, right? With Rogue, you needed a weapon. You know, you didn't have that many weapon buffs. You had Deadly Poison and such. So you had uh, um, Anchor oil. Sharp Sword Oil. Yeah, yeah you had oil. Uh, but Demon Hunter basically always has a weapon equipped and always has a weapon buff. It has a weapon buff within its hero power. Uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely impressive. It's definitely a card that whenever I play that deck, whenever I play Soul Demon Hunter, I just think, oh, Blade Dance is just such a nonsensical card. Yeah, and whenever I play that deck, I Blade Dance on turn five to kill three things, and then I die two turns later. Like, man, I should have held that Blade Dance. So skill testing confirmed. Uh, now halfway through the classes, we got we got. There's so much to talk about in Skolomance. Let's talk about Mage, because Mage is also... It doesn't feel it's anywhere near stable, but the exciting news, if you can call it exciting, Turtle Mage is in the report. It's in there. Is it, is it real? Yep. Is it a real deck? I mean, I'm not sure how... A lot of people are not happy about Turtle Mage being real. One of the most upvoted comments on Reddit is somebody who's saying, Eddie's about to become the most hated man in Hearthstone. Uh, because yeah, when that deck wins, <laughs> the other the other person is pretty miserable because it wins by just wearing you down and making you not want to continue playing the game. Uh, but yeah, so here's the thing about Turtle Mage. Last week I said in the podcast that Turtle Mage looked absolutely garbage, meme supreme, right? And then a new build came up. A new build, an entirely new build, playing very different cards from the previous build that ran like depth charge um and it runs good cards it runs one thief it runs firebrand you play one maker in order to activate the firebrand which is such a clever adjustment and it also runs bone ray so you can survive an imprisoned observer which is totally logical to play imprisoned observer because we're a deck that wants to stall so let's play the card that was meta-defining in its performance in Highlander Mage, and let's put it in as a two-of in Turtle Mage. And Imprisoned Preserver is nuts in this deck. So yeah, the survivability of the Eddie build is much higher compared to the previous build. Uh, and Turtle Mage looks real. Now, how real is it? It's difficult to say. Let me say something about the performance of decks and why we're very careful about... Um, you know, declaring what tier or this deck can be. Uh, because the deck performs well. We know this build performs well. But it's possible that some of that deck's performance is inflated by the fact that the only people who were running the Eddie Turtle Mage are players that follow the competitive scene closely and follow Grandmaster and actually bother to tune into YouTube in order to watch uh, Hearthstone these days. Uh, ouch. Yikes. You're right, but I am certainly not tuning in to watch a specialist meta this weekend with Priest Mirrors and Turtle Mage, like, just absolutely not happening. Yeah, so the people who follow who follow and actually net-decked him are generally players of a higher level, which means they're better than the average player at their respective rank, which means that the deck's win rate might be inflated a little bit. 
So right now it's looking to your tool, but it could be, you know, once it propagates, it could end up falling to tier three. Of course, we have the situation where you have garbage builds, so they need to clean up in order for, for the archetype to show uh, uh, its true aggregated win rate, right? An aggregated win rate that reflects the win rate of that build. The other thing is, though, that it's possible that that deck can get better. We could maybe refine it even more. I don't know. There's very little, like, we, we couldn't get into card choices that much into that particular build because it's it was uncommon enough, right? But it does run an ooze or a neophyte. And uh, my suspicion, my suspicion is that there's probably a better card to run in that deck than a cult neophyte and an ooze. I don't know. I don't have data backing it up. But based on everything that I've seen from neophyte and ooze and every other deck out there, it's possible. Uh, so if the deck gets better, then again, that could high, um, that could uh, heighten the ceiling of uh, this particular build and the archetype. So I don't know. I don't know how good Turtle Mage is. What I do know that it looks competitive. It looks real. The question is, how real is it? That's the, the range. The range of, of confidence where I would place this deck uh, in a power ranking staple that's where I'm a little bit careful and cautious. But I do know that it's better than Tier 4, and it's probably at least a Tier 3 deck, if not Tier 2. Current projections suggest 2, but it's possible it'll eventually fall to Tier 3. But it's real. It's a deck. It exists. It plays. It wins games. And it's also it's one of the more complex decks to play uh, that I can remember in a very long time, so I wouldn't be surprised if... Really, the, the players that stick with it are going to get the results, and the players that don't uh, will likely stop playing it. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's kind of a... If the deck looks better over time because the core that's playing it is is getting the reps in. Um, and that's not, the, that's not the only mage deck. Cyclone Mage has kind of been a little bit more visible lately because you talk about YouTube and Grandmasters killing all day is currently leading in the Americas region with a Cyclone Mage build that he worked on with Muzzy. Are we seeing promise in this archetype as well? Of course, because this archetype is the only one other than Face Hunter that beats Aggro Rogue consistently, mm. which is pretty incredible. Now, why is it good against Aggro Rogue? Firebrand. That card is so good against Aggro Rogue. They play stealth minions, and you just firebrand a one mana spell, and you just wreck them. It's so good. You have so much. You have freezes too, which helps you stall. You just swing. You just easily swing games through Sources Apprentice. The deck is very capable. It's very good at just disrupting an opponent's development of the board, which is also why it's so good against Paladin. It just completely dumpsters Paladin. The problem is with Cyclone Mage that even though I definitely had a scenario, I envisioned a simulation where it would be Tier two 1 today. It would be one of the best decks in the game. Didn't happen. The reason is Bomb Warrior, Soul Demon Hunter. Two decks that don't really care about their minions being disrupted. They just smack you in the face with weapons. And Mage doesn't appreciate being smacked in the face uh, with weapons. And Bomb Warrior, just the entire damage of that deck comes from, like, from its weapon and constantly being upgraded. It barely plays minions. So Mage can definitely struggle in that matchup, especially when you play Mana Giant and then they just Bladestorm it away. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely difficult. So these decks rise 
kind of stop the momentum of Cyclomage, but I do really, I rate that deck highly. I think it has great potential, uh, and uh, it's definitely interesting to play. It's a, it's an interesting play style. It has a lot of potential. Yeah, and also, again, uh, fairly complex. Yes. It is skill testing. It's quite skill testing relative to other decks in the meta, which is already this, da- this meta, I think, is a little bit underrated in terms of how how much depth each deck has. Uh, even something like Face Hunter has quite a bit of depth to it, thanks to Voracious Reader and the utilization of resources uh, through that that source of card draw. So I think there there's a lot of there's a lot of skill testing interactions um, in, in several matchups that are intriguing to see. Yeah, um, I mean, just speaking personally, this meta is hard. There are so many decks yeah. with interesting interactions, and it's a wide-open meta with constantly shifting deck lists as well. Uh, it's difficult, and Mage is, Mage is a class where if you watch someone play it on the broadcast and you try and take the list and play it yourself, it's it's going to be a very different experience until you get your feet under you with it because it's capable of these really powerful swing turns and also capable of you draw a Cyclone off the top with one other spell in your hand and then you lose the game. Um, there's a lot going on there. Now, Highlander Mage, I think, is probably a little bit more straightforward, but also it's taken a really big hit with the development of the meta so far. I haven't seen much of it on ladder. Yeah, because, you know, it also loses to the same decks that smack Mage in the face, right? The Bomb Warrior, obviously... Very disruptive to Highlander Mage's game plan, and but Highlander Mage is not that good against aggro either. It just gets rolled over by something like Face Hunter, which means it's only going to get worse over time. So that deck looks to be declining pretty rapidly, unfortunately. But Mage does have the Cyclo Mage and does have potentially a Turtle Mage deck to keep it very competitive and relevant in the meta. And uh, yeah, Mage looking good. I really like the direction of the class in this expansion. Um, I think uh, it, it's definitely interesting. There's definitely been the development of new playstyles that are refreshing compared to, you know, the Highlander deck, which, uh, you know, everybody got a little bit tired of. And it's nice that the meta has developed in a way that playing Puzzle Box is incorrect, and I love that. I love that playing Puzzle Box in this meta w- is not the way to go. Puzzle box gone. The spy mistress comes down on one. The stealth minions come down turn four or five. You don't have time this puzzle box. It's not going to cheese you games as much in this meta. Good. Good. Get rid of it. All right. So I want to talk about a class that is kind of, it's not popular at high ranks. It's Paladin. Why isn't it played more at high ranks? Because the matchup spread looks pretty good these days. Even if the deck is... I don't know, straightforward, stats on curve, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, some people find Paladin to be boring. Personally, I'm not. I also think Paladin is kind of boring, but that's my opinion, right? That's not... Some people enjoy Paladin. But I think that some people are not attracted to the playstyle of the deck because it is kind of a curved deck. Um, Also has this reputation of being, uh, you know, low on the skill testing levels. And it's, it's... there is an indication that's correct. Paladin does fall off in some matchups at higher levels of play. It's definitely one of the more simple decks of the current meta. But even though it does fall off in some of its matchups at higher levels, its matchup spread is still good. Right? So you think about Usain Bolt, right? Very fast man. Right? Now, as he ages, 
maybe he's got, gotten a little bit slower, right? But he's still a fast man. He's a fast dude. He can run, which is kind of what Paladin is. It's a very, very fast runner at the, on the climb to Legend. It's very powerful. It gets less powerful at Legend and Top Legend. But it's still one of the strongest decks in the format. It has good matchups. It has a good matchup against Druid. Druid is popular at Top Legend. It's popular. It has good matchup against Soul Demon Hunter. Soul Demon Hunter is popular at Top Legend. It, it's good matchups against Bomb Warrior. Bomb Warrior, good matchup for uh, Pure Paladin. Now, a lot of people think, hey, why is uh, Bomb Warrior a, a good matchup for Pure Paladin? They shut down the pure cards. Pure Paladin doesn't care about the pure cards in that matchup. It just buffs things and plays things and smacks the warrior in the face. And whenever the bomb damage it could be a little bit dangerous, they just play Librium of Hope and smack you more in the face. It, bomb Warrior does not contest the board at all. It's all removal. So when you have a deck that has a robust amount of threats, then the Bomb Warrior can struggle. So that is that. Lots of good matchups, even though matchups do fall off, and we do see that there are some matchups where the deck gets worsened at higher levels. Still, the favorable field keeps it very strong. So Paladin, I do think, is a little bit underrated, gets a little bit disrespected too much. It's a good deck. It's a strong, solid deck. It's a litmus test. It's another one of these decks that challenges other decks of, you've got to be able to compete with me if you want to be meta. And decks are successful. There are decks that are successful in competing with it, which is why it's a strong deck, but it's not an oppressive deck. It's not a problematic deck. For power level reasons, it's fine. Um, I think it's a healthy thing to have a deck like Pure Paladin in the meta, where it just plays tough and plays like a more simple game plan. You want to have diversity. You want to appeal to different kinds of players. You don't always want to just, you know, every deck be this complicated, play 10 cards in one turn kind of thing. Sometimes you're going to want to just play one thing at a time and get them. Yeah. Oh, sometimes you just got to get them. Yeah, and, and we're still a good curve deck with a lot of really powerful early game minions. It's turn one, first day of school, or all door into Shotbot, into Goody Two Shields, into Zealot. That beats a lot of things. That's a lot of pressure. It kind of reminds me of Secret Paladin a little bit. It's kind of it's a little bit different than Secret Paladin. Secret Paladin was more even more curve reliant than Pure Paladin uh, because Pure Paladin does have recovery and removal, and Secret Paladin was all about putting the most amount of stats on the board. But they kind of have a similar playstyle. Seems like Paladin, a lot of Paladin decks are kind of behave like that. Not a lot of Paladin decks kind of are like of the Holy Wrath kind of like more intricacy. I would be interested to see. Uh, late game paladin combo decks like we've seen we've seen in the past but it's fine to have this deck in the meta i think it's a healthy deck to have in the meta it demands certain things from from decks and it kind of helps shape a meta that's a little bit more board centric right because it, it helps it, it punishes deck that abandoned the board something like bomb warrior that just abandons the board and has all of its damage through its weapon it's kind of a weird warping deck, right? So it's nice to have a deck that's able to correct Bomb Warrior's uh, fixation on off-the-board damage. Yeah, and same with Soul Demon Hunter. It's it's very, very strong yep. in that matchup because they really don't want the board all that much, and it's very easy to to get ahead of the Blade Dance, at least as of right now. Yeah, Pure Paladin kind of punishes the decks that kind of try to be less interactive through the board. So if you if you complain about interactivity, if you ever complain about off the board interactivity in Hearthstone, 
you cannot complain about pure paladin because it, it kind of it's a deck that punishes that kind of style. It's nice to have a good mid-range deck that's capable of pressuring, and that's what this deck is. It's a really powerful mid-range deck. If you want to just play stuff at every point in the game, uh, this is how to do it. Do we have any data that's worth speaking to about non-pure paladin builds? I know people have been trying it, but I haven't really seen anything take hold. Unfortunately, not enough. From what we've seen, they're not looking very good. But again, a low sample size, it's tough to say how impure Paladin does. Yeah. Um, there might also be some recognition issues with, with uh, impure Paladin. But uh, I think if one of them, if an impure Paladin became really popular, then we would probably be able to, to recognize it at a very reliable rate. Right now, the play rate of these decks are just very, very, very low. So it's very hard to say how good they are. But no, I haven't seen enough traction. I would love to see a different deck emerge in Paladin because it's the one class that's kind of like all about one deck uh, rather than a few. Yeah. it's uh, We even in the first couple weeks of the report, I think we had old Murloc Paladin listed in there and now it's just one deck. Just the one yeah, thing. Paladin did, uh, Murloc Paladin did not survive the... The, uh, the rise of aggressive decks in the format, which isn't surprising. And also the rise of three-mana Dustbreaker, which is pretty good against Murlocs. It's a pretty powerful yep. anti-Murloc card. All right. Warlock. Let's go to Warlock. Oh, you want to do, you want to save Hunter? Save it? Yeah, let's, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's do Warlock. So let's talk about Warlock, whereas Warlock doesn't have just one deck. It has kind of this confusing mess because uh, we don't, uh, I haven't seen a lot of Warlocks. Some people are still playing Flash Giant, Discard Zoo, and some people are still trying out Galakrond Warlock, but it doesn't seem like anything's really gaining much traction in this class. So so here's the thing. It's actually, Warlock has two... Okay, it has one very fleshed-out deck. I think the Masochistic Zoo with Flesh Giant... Was that a pun? Was that a pun? Did you no, make a pun? it was an accident. I, I, this was an accident. It wasn't uh -huh. actually a pun. It just came to me afterwards that it might have been a pun. No. I'm keeping my eye on you. You're sneaky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing about uh, the Masochistic Zoo. There was a build that rose in popularity that ran like Death Imp and Philosophy. I don't know where it came from, but it's really, really bad. So stop playing that thing because we, it really hurts our ability to see the, uh, the proper aggregated win rate for Zoo Warlock. Um, yeah, so th there's, a, there's a drop in, the, in Zoo Warlock's win rate partly because of that, but also... Uh, if you look at all this meta, there's a lot of decks that are just burn decks, right? And if you put your yourself at 15 life without a single card uh, from the opponent doing any of the damage, then you're going to be finished off. So Masochistic Zoo has some issue against some of the rising decks of the current meta, which is also why you know meta hostility is a bit higher on it, and the field is less favorable, and it dropped in its winner because of that, too. But... I can see that deck recovering because eventually there will be some interactions, other interactions in the meta where people will punish the burn decks and then Masochistic Zoo is very, very good. It's very good against Priest. Um, it's very good against uh, Miracle Rogue, for example. It, Miracle Rogue can really struggle against that deck. So it, has, it definitely has potential. It's a very solidified build. We made just one card change in that, in, in that deck list. It's a good deck. Kind of has some meta-related issues. Galakron Warlock is the only slower Warlock archetype that looks competitive. 
and it's it's still struggling because again the burn meta uh, decks are burning it out and doesn't have good recovery um, mainly because its best recovery tool which is nether breath and morag artificer don't have enough activation like the most popular galakorn warlock builds run three dragons crazed nether wings and alexstrasza that's it sometimes you really need the heal from nether breath but it's not activated we've seen in the data it happens quite often where you're desperate to heal but you don't have a dragon so if nether breath was more consistent this deck would do better which is kind of why we've theory crafted this uh suggestion of running evasive uh, worms evasive worm is a six mana card this deck doesn't really have a six mana play it's removal so it could be serviceable in a deck that's mainly reactive it also has some sneaky synergy uh with plague of flames so because you sw you swing into one thing you kill the medium-sized threat and then you can plague around and, and kill the other big thing that you wanted to remove so adding more dragons Having five dragons should increase the consistency of Nether Breath to the point where you're actually able to recover. And it's important to Nether Breath for 8 health or even 16 health in a lot of matchups right now. You can think about it Soul Demon Hunter, Bomb Warrior, Face Hunter, Aggro Rogue. These are matchups that demand a strong Nether Breath turn with Morag Artificer. And if you can do that more consistently, the deck could, could improve. But I'm not high on slow Warlock decks because they are just inherently weak to these kind of strategies right now that are prevalent which are the burnout strategies so what you're saying is if you're running a card that needs to be enabled running more enablers is good big brain that's that's why you make the big bucks over at vicious syndicates at but yeah it's there's still some merit here if we get to the point where like this plague of flames and devolving missiles rose a lot in the early part of the meta because people were playing big chunky mid-game stuff um, and it's still entirely possible for that to be a return to the meta if it keeps cycling the way it has. If aggro gets countered by anti-aggro and then you play mid-range to beat that, then this kind of build could very easily have a lot of strength there. It just it, That hasn't been the shape the meta's taken yet, but there's opportunity here. There's stuff going on here. Yep. Even Warlock, which seems like a class that's a little bit underpowered maybe due to meta reasons, I can definitely envision scenarios where it comes back in a big way. So... It's viable. It's competitive. Don't don't underestimate uh, Masochistic Zoo. It's a it's it's a deck. It's powerful. It can do some powerful things. And if you want some Masochistic uh, Warlock, if you want to get your fix, you can hop on over to Wild. Oof. I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if you want to get heard... an overdose, uh, there's yeah. there's a lot going on. Like I'm seeing Wild players running away from that format because of that deck and playing standard. I queued up into. One of the most uh, famous wild players out there. I think his name is Hijo. Hijo? Yes. I'm not. Yeah. So he was playing standard. And I was, I ran into him on ladder relatively in high legend. And he, I was like, oh, he's coming over to standard. Things must be bad over there. It's an interesting time in wild. I mean, you know, we obviously, we don't have the data. We're not a wild podcast. I will say that uh, Skolomance has been very impactful to that, uh, to that environment. And uh, and things feel very different over there and quite powerful. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get a wild report soon, maybe mid-September around that. I'm hoping uh, we're aiming for something like that as long as there are no more balance changes, which I'm, 
I'm hopeful that there won't be because I think everything is okay in standard wide. Maybe the wild players will will get irritated by my statement. I'm talking about standard. Standard doesn't seem to merit uh, balance changes that much. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about eight classes, and now we go into the ninth, the sweet ninth, which is Hunter. Most underrated class in the format, without question. People are really sleeping on the potential of Hunter. Well, and we've talked the entire podcast about how burn decks are defining the meta. Let's talk about the OG burn deck. The yeah. ultimate burn deck. Face Hunter is back. We've kind of talked about it in the last podcast as well. We've hinted that Face Hunter was was seriously competing at the top. And in this report, it's at the top. And the reason why it's at the top is because it beats Aggro Rogue. It also beats Bomb Warrior. It also doesn't lose to Druid. It also doesn't lose to the Priest. It has such a good matchup spread with few unfavorables. It's just relentless in its aggression. And there are a lot of decks that cannot keep up with it. And our build is also a little bit novel. We identified new things in the data that spurred us to make these changes. The first one is running Explosive Trap. You know, most uh, builds on uh, on ladder right now, Face Hunter builds, run the Freezing, they run Pressure Plate. These are, de- these are texts that are really warped into trying to counter Druid. And Explosive is much better against Rogue while still providing face damage in the slower matchup. So it's not even bad uh, to run the explosives just for the two damage that you can dish out for three for free with uh, face stalker often. So explosive is really strong against aggro. It just utterly cripples them. And also explosive is a stalling secret. So toxic reinforcement becomes better. Toxic reinforcements also helps you close uh, slower matchups out like Bomb Warrior, which rose in popularity and really struggles with Toxic. If you play that on one against Bomb Warrior, it doesn't do anything in the early game, so playing Toxic is pretty good. Also good against Priest. And yeah, Face Hunter is the nuts. Now, the other thing is, another new card that is appearing in this deck is Poke It. And Poke It looks pretty good. I won't, I'm not going to declare that Poke It is core. Insane has to be in the deck. But there's enough indications that it belongs in the deck. And the reason is it pulls your Dragon Bane, pulls your Kill Command. Meaning, if you play it in the mid game, it's going to pull your finishers. And you really want to draw your finishers since you're running Reader, which is nice reload. But you don't run Tracking anymore. Tracking really doesn't fit that deck that well. So having Poket is kind of a Tracking. Uh, kind of a form of Tracking where you put the, the value finishers at the top of your deck. So... Poke it seems good. When when you're playing Face Hunter and you say, okay, I just need to draw two damage, and you draw an Intrepid Initiate or a Blazing Battle Mage or something, we're not even playing Battle Mage. But you draw you draw a random one drop. You said, I wish that was damage. With Pole Kelt, your next five draws are damage. It's Dragon Bane yep. and then four cards that do at least three damage at a time in the game when you can also weave in your hero power. So you're guaranteeing five damage chunks each turn, even after you play Dragon Bane, and just being able to guarantee five damage. Is it's that's enough. Face Hunter often needs to do that. You need to guarantee that last ten or so without having board control, and the entire top end of the deck is designed to do that. 
Exactly. You can just, with the hero power as well, you just draw a bow, you equip the bow, smack face, hero power, you draw kill command. You fit. It, it's just very difficult to outlast a poke it from a face hunter. After the report came out, I, I queued into ladder and I ran into a couple of face hunters that had poke it on four and that was that was difficult to deal with. So it, it definitely felt really strong in, in the slower matchups. Of course, it's meant to be uh, uh, kind of a card that shines in the slower matchups. The deck has a lot of one drops. That is a good point. You have a lot of cards that you want to draw on turn one, on turn two and three. You want to flip the board, vomit, play Voracious Reader and reload, but you really don't want to draw them later because then you want to finish games. And that's where Polkit comes in. Really good card. Of course, it's also a proven, uh, a proven card in Highlander Hunter, uh, which we've tuned in this report. We've cut the CMAT. We ran Kill Command. Again, think about we want more burn. We want more racing potential, even in Highlander Hunter. So Kill Command throws in value. Dropping CMAT means you play Polkit. You always get the Time of Tamer brand. You don't have the 50-50. And you smack your opponent in the face and finish him off. Um, I'm actually really surprised, you know, because in the theory crafting, in the card previews and all of that, everybody was talking about Polkit as this combo card. And what ended up happening is that its best utilization in the current meta is in the Hunter. That's the deck. That's the class that takes advantage of it the most. And it kind of makes sense because it doesn't have a lot of card draw. And it's very burn-reliant to watch finished games. So it kind of sets builds the deck differently for it to finish games in the, late, in the mid to late game. So pretty cool to see. Um, and yeah toy with it it's it's uh face hunter is pretty strong it's really strong right now yeah it's pretty incredible after all these years to see a face hunter at the top of the meta report because it's been around for so long and it hasn't really been tier one that i can remember since leper gnome was a two one it's been a long time since face hunter An abusive was sergeant yeah abusive sergeant and you had leroy and you had arcane golem and all these old evil cards that just were classic set neutral damage that you could play and everything and now it's we're leaning on hunter specific though we got some good neutrals tour guide intrepid initiate pretty nice neutrals that we're rocking chucky must be so happy right now oh yeah you know that you know that he had a hand in this you know it (laughs) if i had if i were a betting man i would say that chucky designed toxic reinforcements i wouldn't bet against or had a hand in Toxic Reinforcement. It's such a Chalky card Yeah, when I saw it initially. Like, yeah, now I know that Chalky's there. Helping out aggro players from, from the other side. And finally, we technically have one more class to talk about. Shaman is so bad. The notes, the show notes, <laughs> I, have, I have notes listed here for every single class. And under Shaman, I just have a frowny face. They don't, what do you even say? Frowny face is a good way to describe Shaman. Yes, unfortunately, we have a very diverse meta, very balanced meta throughout lots of different viable decks. Unfortunately, we cannot find a really viable one in Shaman. Now, Totem Shaman is actually fine at lower ranks. You can actually do pretty well with it. It even has a positive win rate at lower ranks. But the problem is that it's a new meta. Things are still settling down. You gotta not just evaluate win rate, you gotta evaluate scope for improvement. And I see it in a lot of classes. I don't see it as much in, in Totem Shaman specifically. And while it's no guarantee, our previous experiences suggest that 
this deck is only going to fall in its win rate more and more and kind of fade and disappear. I hope I'm, I'm end up being proven wrong. I hope that people end up finding a build that makes sense for the current meta. But Totem Shaman is just generally struggling against all this aggro and people, you know, playing things for the board, fighting for the board on turn one. That's really bad when you're playing Totems. So Totem Shaman's not looking good. All this hype about Quest Shaman. Quest Shaman looks really, really weak. Uh, not really fleshed out. We kind of joked around last week about its best matchup being the Mirror. Well, I will say that it's possible that it's favored against Priest. With some refinement and some improvement, I'm seeing potential favorability against Priest. A good matchup in my Quest yeah. Shaman? It might be better than 50%. It might be something like 53, 55 against Priest, something like that. And Priest is also not refined. So <laughs> maybe that will also go away eventually. But yeah, Quest Shaman is not good. I'm seeing Highlander Shaman. They're even worse. Highlander Shaman is just so bad. It's just like, it's fireworks mage level. Oof. So yeah, that's an oof. But, you know, Hearthstone, the good Hearthstone days, you know, good metas. We've had nine viable classes, and we have nine viable classes. You know, Demon Hunter, the introduction of Demon Hunter is actually brilliant. It's just big brain, galaxy brain from Team 5. Because now they can say that there are nine viable classes. Right? We've, we've reached the point. Where there are nine viable classes. Class. Listen, if you, want, if you want nine classes playable, add a class. That way you don't have to worry about Shaman. Next next year or two years, we add Monk. We can have two classes sitting in the dumpster and say the same thing. Big brain. What can they even do to fix Shaman outside of reworking the classic set? I don't even I, know. I, I think there's actually very... like I don't think Shaman is that far away. I think there are a lot of... Shaman has plenty of decent tools. It just doesn't have a good late game. And late game can be fixed with one card. Imagine we we had Shadowwalk right now. That's an like suddenly Shaman is a different class. Like just Shadowwalk. So if we just add one big impactful card in the late game, then Shaman can be can suddenly become viable. So we're not that far away from Shaman being competitive. It just needs that late game plan. It needs to strive for something. And Quest Shaman is kind of trying to strive for something, but it's just a very, right now it's just a very clunky list that you need a lot of good things to happen for you to, for you to make things happen, right? So, but it's not that far away. I think it's like one or two cards away from potentially being a, a viable late game uh, strategy. And same for like faster decks. You just need a couple of power cards. And, and Shaman could be back. So it's not that far away, even though the win rate suggests otherwise. It just, right now, like a deck like Control Shaman has the removal, has the life gain, has really good removal. Shaman can survive for a long time. It's just that it survives to the point, and then it just cannot win. It doesn't have that 9-drop, 8-drop, or that, that combo play late that just finishes games. And that's the difference. That's the difference from being dumpster to competitive potential. And in retrospect, it kind of shows how powerful Shutterwalk really was, not even just as a combo card, but just as this giant value explosion 
late in the game. In a way, it was also a problem because the fact that Shadow Walk existed also made probably Team 5 wary of adding more stuff that are a strong late game to potentially combo with Shadow Walk. And then when Shadow Walk was gone, a huge void appeared, right? You suddenly... Yeah. Like this big card that limited design for a certain amount of time and now gone, and there's just this void because nothing else strong late game was almost allowed to exist next to it. So now you kind of need to find something new to strive for because Shadow Walk was so dominant. So that's definitely an issue uh, that the the class experience, and hopefully we'll get some some interesting cards to build around um, maybe in the next set. And yep. then Shaman could be back. I hope it's so. It'll be it'll be nice to see. And Team Five, of course, has hinted at a larger scale uh, classic set reimagining. We don't know the details of that yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if Shaman is a big beneficiary of that as well, since their base cards are uh, bloodlust and nonsense. Just cut all the overloads by one. Like I would cut all the overloads by one. A lightning storm can have one overload. Feral Spirit can have one less overload. Like, just that. Just just do that. That's my, uh, uh, one of my suggestions. Your armchair design suggestion. Yeah, my armchair design. Make Lightning Storm deal two and one less overload. Remove that RNG aspect of two and three damage. And then suddenly you have, like, a Consecration constantly in your, that doesn't cripple your curve in the classic set. Give Shaman some card draw. Like, uh, maybe an Ancestral Knowledge. Put it in the classic set. Reduce the overload by one. You have an Arcane Intellect. It's not great, but it's something. It just it's means something. that Shaman can... Yeah, it just means that if Shaman doesn't have card draw in a specific timeline of an expansion, it can tap into that. So I think there's there's plenty to do that you can do with the with the Shaman set. Yeah, there's there's opportunity here and... and... You know, we've had the same conversation about Paladin for a long time, but they managed to make Paladin quite playable in this meta. So Team 5 seems to have the ability to recognize what is needed to push a class into the limelight. Uh, remains to be seen what will happen with Shaman. And it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to have everything be viable, every class be viable in every meta. So it would be very nitpicky to complain about one class being week when everything else seems you know when the entire meta looks so well-rounded so balanced so intriguing lots of interactions lots of counterplay counterability so that would be a bit nitpicking if we complain about shaman being bad because eventually it will be good again yeah and and firmly agree uh standard is super fun right now and hearthstone in general it's very enjoyable. I also have fun. It's very subjective, right? It's subjective, but I'm I'm having fun, and a lot of people that I know are playing the game or are having fun. Generally, there's a fun vibe going on. Lots of people are liking this meta, so maybe the meta is fun for a lot of people. Yeah, and I'm really happy to see that. I think a lot of the toxic elements that we saw in Ashes of Outland are kind of gone. There's there's less of this huge variance turns. That's what I'm feeling. And you have a more consistent game plans going on. Yes, there's some generation, but there should always be generation, some level of it. But it doesn't feel like the randomness kind of kills your ability to play the game or just makes creates non-games. 
There are, there are less non-games right now, especially after the Kelthus nerf. Yeah, and uh, the only final st the final statistic that I will quote is that since the set has come out, uh, we it looks like our game count has remained stable, if not increased. And usually there's this big spike right at the beginning, uh, but uh, people are still playing a lot of standard. There there are reasons to believe that engagement is pretty high and remains constant through the first month of the expansion, and that's encouraging signs. Yeah, because that's not always the case. I, I think the first impression of Ashes was troubled, but now we look at the first impression that we're getting from Skolomance, and it's, uh, it's, it seems very positive. I think I will correct you. Like Ashes of Outland was a huge commercial success in terms of the new class, and there was a lot of interest in the new class. Okay. It's just that things kind of maybe soured later on because everybody kind of got tired of the same deck dominating despite being nerfed multiple times. But here we have we have a nice set. We have a really sweet set with a lot of interesting cards and exciting new builds. And then we also have kind of a balanced meta so you can kind of play whatever you want. And there's there's a deck for everyone, I think. There's aggro decks. There are mid-range decks. There are kind of combo-ish decks. There are control decks. There's a bit of everything. So we hope that you're all enjoying the meta as much as we are, listener. But that's going to do it for this supersized long episode. Long podcast. So yeah, much to talk size. about. Um, but we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, as long as the meta keeps having developments like this, we're just going to keep talking about it. So you can look forward to the next report on the website on Thursday the 3rd. You can look forward to the podcast that we'll be recording the day after, as usual. should be publishing on Saturday the 5th. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, any final thoughts, Zach? I'm looking forward to see how the meta naturally develops. It could be a golden age for Hearthstone. And uh, even though I don't want to jinx it, I can't help but say it. Yeah, crossing my fingers, knocking on wood. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go after I stop recording. I'm going to queue up some Yoink Priest. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Do it. You, you know you got to do it. You know you want to do it. You want to yoink. You don't care. Like... It's I'm not a griefing deck. We're not judging. It's a yoink deck. Okay, it's a griefing deck, but I want to grief. Sometimes you gotta grief. Just just prepare your emotes. Yeah. Oh, don't you worry. Uh, I might even switch to Anduin so we can do the light will burn you, because he's the BM I do master. think that the BM meta, the, me, the BM meta, is also fairly balanced. has a lot of potential. You've got Priest, you've got Face Hunter, you've got Bomb Warrior. There's a lot of BMs going on. V very diverse set of BMs. Oh, yeah. Wow. There's a lot of wow. Yes. <laughs> so, big thanks to Steven Sensei for intro and outro. That's going to do it, and, uh, and we'll talk to you next week. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.